Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Disney executives. Why go with quality when you can have quantity? Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Amaya. Looking forward to the past. I have no idea. I forgot to write the actual caption for that, so I just made a bunch of words up. <laughs> Perfect way to start it. This, this whole thing is just off the rails already, and that's probably for the best because uh, I have no idea. Welcome to the Pestle. I'm Wes. <laughs> and I'm confused. I'm Todd. <laughs> and this is a movie podcast where we analyze, break down uh, films and analyze them to kind of see what they're made of and get better as filmmakers, as writers, and maybe as uh, cinema lovers. We are right now on lockdown. This is our first recording in the, uh, the coronavirus quarantine. So if everything feels off, it is 1000% off. We, we are recording remotely. How are you doing, man? Ah, uh, holding it down, man. You know, trying to do all the things, you know, everybody says you got to learn a new skill. I'm, I'm jump roping. OK, so I, because I was really annoyed that I, I I I was a better jump roper when I was in sixth grade than I am as a 40 year old man. So and then and my my sister in law's boyfriend can do like 200 double unders in a row. And I was really mad, really mad. I'm like, I can't even jump rope, you know, normal for 30 straight seconds. So I got a speed rope and I'm working on it. So, yeah, good. <laughs> Dude, that's amazing. Yeah, double unders really? are about the worst <laughs> thing ever. Yeah, you can. You've done a lot of jump roping, right? You can do double unders, right? Yeah, I can do them. I I generally avoid them. I was focused more on just uh, the old up and down. <laughs> <laughs> the old up and down. Yeah. And, well, what was funny was that you know I I got to a point where I could without screwing up. It's not that it's not obviously I I have the conditioning to do more than thirty seconds in a row. I just didn't have the timing down, right? And then I hand it to my wife and she does like the crossover. <laughs> she did a crossover like first thing. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm so behind on this. Anyway, yeah, you know, it, it learning how to do, uh, you know, homeschooling and stuff and jump, jumble, juggling that with, you know, working from home and trying to keep things kind of some somewhat resembling to normal for the children. And hell, for us, uh, sometimes a daily struggle. Other times it's kind of we make it fun so what about you man dude yeah no same here man um i you know what's funny is this isn't too different from my normal life i'm, I'm a pretty big homebody <laughs> i was gonna say <laughs> like to my shame i guess but the i didn't realize the only things i really in my day-to-day -day life leave the house for are going to the gym going to the store to the movies and your house um that, assuming i don't have like a date or something um made but, list the, I didn't realize how much those few things added up. Like once I can no longer go to the gym or go to the grocery store or, you know, go see a movie or go to your house like that suddenly was like, oh, I, I do feel a little more caged than before. Right now I'm, I have a gym kind of set up on my patio that I work out, you know, for an hour and a half a day if my neighbor isn't outside smoking <laughs> like there's nothing better than being in the middle of a set and you know you get this nice waft of tobacco uh, to choke you out oh yeah not great but yeah it's been that and i've definitely tried to dive into some shows what have uh what have you been watching uh movies or tv or uh like the 30 second version of it 30 second version like the rest of the world i've watched tiger king uh started watching ozark 
the new season of Ozarks, which, uh, yeah. And, but not honestly, not a ton. I've been throwing myself back into music a lot and writing a lot more. Uh, and it, that's just been really en- enjoyable. So I have resisted going to the screen to that, to like, to, to movies. Also, it's just different, man. I'm sorry to everybody who loves Netflix and I do too. I, I subscribe and everything and that's great, but I gotta be honest, it is not the movies and I miss that so much. I, it just is never going to be replaced for me. I resist the whole throwing myself into watching a ton of shit. I, I just don't, it feels like a waste of time for me because if I'm going to watch a film, I want it to feel special because of all the work people put into it and everything. And so like, for example, uh, Pixar had a new movie that just, that they dropped. It was supposed to come into, go into theaters, right? But uh, because of COVID and everything and all the theaters shut down, instead they released it, they released it on uh, Disney plus onward. I won't tell you what I think of it, but I'm sitting there and we're watching it obviously because we subscribe to Disney plus and I need something to do with my kids. And that is a perfect thing. But I'm sitting here thinking this took them four or five years to make. And now they're just throwing it on Disney plus like here, you binge it. It it just felt a little cheat. I was like, I was cheating them, but they did it, you know, like they, they wanted to give it away. Okay, fine. Great. But you know, like it just didn't feel right. Yeah. So that's like, my 30, that's my four minute, 30 second thing spiel. Yeah. I mean, that's, it, it does kind of cheapen the, uh, the effort and the art that was put into it to not be able to see it the way it was created to be. And I, and I know that, you know, uh, any theatrical run, no matter what it is, is always effervescent, but having that moment and seeing it on the marquee and, uh, having that full experience is you can't replicate it in your home as much as like you, I very much appreciate Netflix and streaming and the instantaneous, you know, ability to watch whatever I want or whatever, but yeah, there's something much more magical and uh, meaningful to a theater experience. I can remember far more theater experiences than I can at home, you know, experiences. Uh, and that's because it's an event for me though. I've been watching, I mean, a little bit of everything I've, I ran through devs and, Oh yes. I went back and rewatched uh, the newsroom, which if you don't have HBO, it's free right now. And that would be one of the first things I would say, watch that. It's very, it's Aaron Sorkin. Um, it's, if you ever watched West wing, it's like the West wing, but in the newsroom and the performances are all amazing. And the writing is amazing and it's very easy. I know HBO has this kind of rep for being uh, challenging content. The wire rise hard for a lot of people to get through, but still one of the the best show it's the best show ever created if you can you know just give it time it's a slow burn whereas the newsroom it's very easy you'll get it you know within the first five minutes you'll be hooked so i rewatched that and i did it in like three days i did like a season a day man i was just crushing it and then when it ends you get that you know empty feeling i'm sure there's some great Scandinavian word for that feeling you get after you watch a show and it's ended. <laughs> I got that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Is, uh, did you go back and watch it? Cause of Alice and pill probably, probably that's that. Yeah. I would imagine that's linked. I think I was just in a, I needed comfort and being around oh, that yeah. group of people is very comforting. And I love that they're all fighting for truth, even though I have all kinds of opinions about, you know, the writing behind it. Uh, but I still love all the relationships and how they're all, you know, in it together. And I felt like that social aspect was (laughs) what I was really aiming for. (laughs) 
Yeah. And I the zippiness. It. Aaron Sorkin writes the zippiest dialogue. You would have to go to Amy. Oh, God. I'm going to totally miss her name. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel or Gilmore Girls. I'm completely botching that amazing writer's name right now. But to find someone that can compete with Aaron Sorkin, you'd have to go, you know, in that direction because he just writes some of the best zippiest back and forth dialogue that does everything you want dialogue to do. Reveal character and make you laugh, make you think and gives you a nugget that he's going to wait for, you know, 10 minutes before he throws it back at you. Like, Oh man, that, that loop paid off. There was a loop there. It wasn't just a random thing. And so all these, yeah, go watch the newsroom, go watch the outsider and Silicon Valley, like go sign up for HBO while you can. Cause it's free right now. And uh, there's just so many great shows that are, that are running through right now. Awesome. But yeah, what are we going to do today, man? Yeah. Spoiler alert. So we are, we are doing little women today covering little women today. So if you haven't seen it, please pause this, go watch it. You can, um, you can rent it at plenty of different places online right now. I think it's like four bucks to rent. Um, but, but I mean, we've read, you know, they've redone this movie so many times. I bet a lot of you have seen it, but if you haven't, uh, we don't want to spoil anything for you. So, and there are spoilers. So, uh, please pause it and, and go watch it. Definitely. Uh, we'll talk about a lot of things. We'll talk about cinematography, touch on a little bit of the editing and can't help but talk about the story and the writing and other such stuff and things and stuff. Uh, So a quick synopsis of the film. Uh, Jo March reflects back and forth on her life, telling the beloved story of the March sisters, four young women, each determined to live life on her own terms. Directed by Greta Gerwig, written by Greta Gerwig, based on the novel by Louisa May Alcott. Cinematography by Yorick Lesox, featuring Sorsha Ronan as Joe March, Emma Watson as Meg, Florence Pugh as Amy, Eliza Scanlon as Beth, Laura Dern as Marmy, uh, Timothy Chalamet as Laurie, Bob Odenkirk as Father, Chris Cooper as Mr. Lawrence, and Meryl Streep as Aunt March. What is it? I don't know. I've always been quite content with my family. Don't understand it. Perhaps, um, perhaps I was too quick in turning him down. Laurie. Do you love him? If he asked me again, I think I would say yes. Do you think he'll ask me again? But do you love him? I care more to be loved. I want to be loved. That is not the same as loving. I know. You know, I just, I just feel, I just feel like women, they, they have minds and they have souls as well as just hearts and they've got ambition and they've got talent as well as just beauty and I'm so sick of people saying that, that love is just all a woman is fit for. I'm so sick of it. But I'm, I'm so lonely. It's a good scene. God. Uh, it's that's basically the movie yeah. in that moment yeah really right yeah 
What did you think? Like good, good sound bite there. You saw this. Uh, you saw this in theater, right? I did. Um, so I saw it with my wife. Actually, it was. Uh, she's so funny. I try to drag her out to the to the movies all the time, and pre-corona, and you know, rarely does she does she come. She just you know. Is it's not her style always, but then sometimes she gets these crazy thing, these crazy moments where like she has to go see a movie. Um, in this case, we did a double feature. We saw this in Parasite in the same night at two different theaters. It was like legit. And uh, I was so glad that I saw it with her because uh, I think I enjoyed it a lot more. I mean, I have a sister, but she's got two and, um, her being a woman as well. So it's a different, it's different when you're a woman and you have a sister, I feel like than when you're a man and you have a sister and it's obviously totally different if you have a brother (laughs) or if you are a boy and have a brother or are a girl and have a brother. So seeing it with her and knowing her and knowing her sister and knowing how they are together, it just made it that much more enjoyable. So like, I felt like I was I was uh, more emotive, like I was, I was more sad when I should have been sad. I was, I was laughing harder than I would have had I been sitting there alone because she was laughing. And that made me think of her and her sister and, um, her her and her sister, it's like a very special relationship. Her sister had drug problems for a long time and finally like got clean like several years ago. And, and there was a point where we thought she was going to die. Like it was like a, a very, you know, poignant with, with this, not exactly, obviously, uh, in all the scenarios, but so it was very, it was such an, it was the right way to see this movie. Honestly, it was with her. And, and I, I just loved it. I loved it for so many reasons. One, I didn't expect to, I was like, not excited to see it. You know, I wasn't like, like, okay, we get to see little women. I was like, uh, I'm going to go see a movie with my wife. And I'm, that makes me happy. And it turned out to be such a pleasant surprise. I enjoyed it that was my favorite part of the night, honestly. And yeah, I, I guess we could talk about all the things that we're going to talk about about the movie and I can weigh in on, on what I thought about those aspects, but the being next to her seeing it was made it that much more enjoyable. So it was, it was fantastic. I thought that, that the, the rehash of it was really great. And Greta, man, like my wife is writing her memoir right now. And I told her when that needs to be made into a movie, you got to find a way to get Greta to make it. And which is funny because Greta went to Barnard, which is where my wife went to school and they graduated at the same time. So, or they went to school at the same time there. So they don't know each other, know each other, but they went to the same school. So um, yeah, she did an excellent job rehashing it. That's so funny. Cause in a similar way, I, I was both super, super excited and not excited about this movie because the era does nothing for me. This whole uh, bonnet yeah. era, whenever this is, the 1850s or whenever, I, I can't even place a date on it um, is how disconnected I am from this era. But my mom, growing up, loved this stuff. She loved Anna Green Gables and uh, probably Little Women, I don't know. But all these old classic Disney films that took place in this era, Old Yeller, all those kinds of things. I I, I can't stand it. I don't like Jane Austen uh films normally I think there's one that I finally after years was able to uh, actually sit through the entire thing normally I don't abandon movies I don't abandon anything once I begin a project and for me a book or a movie is a project that hell or high water I'm going to finish it because I started it and these are the only kinds of movies I've ever abandoned like and I, I just can't stand them everything about this era is completely unromantic to me and 
from the styling, the wardrobe, you know, the the way people treat each other. I don't know. Uh, the yeah. architecture, like all of it is just completely drabbed me. But what made me really excited about this movie was that it was Greta Gerwig and that it that cast is incredible. Like I'm I'm so excited about Florence Pugh. She is incredible. You know, the few projects I've got to see her in so far, I anything she pops up in, I'm like super excited about it. And I've been on the Sorcerer Ronin game, you know, for for a long time since she made Hannah. Uh, I've been, a you know, watching for her. And and of course, you know, Emma Watson's incredible, which I thought this was a really crazy role for her to take because it's such a backseat kind of role. Uh, I mean, she has her storyline, but uh, it doesn't feel as pronounced as the other, definitely not as pronounced as Amy and Joe. Uh, but even I think Beth had a, a more, you know, compelling storyline. But I thought it was really cool that Emma Watson still took this role, even though she wouldn't necessarily be, you know, front and center and uh, a major player. She still added a ton to the to the family and to the elements. Um, and it's one of those old sayings, you know, every, everyone has a part to play. And so that cast, I was like, yeah, I got to see this. And if Greta Gerwig's doing it, it's, she's going to do it in her own way. And I thought she did such an incredible job uh, because I, this was my favorite movie of last year for sure. And seeing how she still kept true to it, to the, I haven't read the book or seen any other film the extent of my knowledge about little women comes from that friends episode where rachel and joey exchange books and she makes them read little women that's the absolute extent <laughs> of my knowledge about little women uh, walking into oh, this love it. but i could i could feel that she stayed very true to the era and the, she didn't try to insert her modern day i don't know uh affectations into this era like she still stayed very true to that era and those characters and i think I got the feeling that she, in in a lot of ways, stayed even more true to it than maybe the original work was. Uh, like that final scene, whenever she's negotiating her her book contract, I somehow I, I'm going to read this book, but I would be surprised if that whole scene is in in the book. I felt like definitely not. Right? Yeah. Like that felt like, hey, I'm trying to send a message on how to negotiate because women get the raw end of the stick, you know, so often. And, uh, that's certainly one area that you can take into your hands and, uh, do more with. And she was like, I'm not going to let a man talk down to a woman. I'm going to show that in a George Lucas way, right. You own your property, you own your rights. And that gives you the most power of all. And she, yeah. so that whole scene. So I, I felt like that throughout the film and just from listening to her interview, I'll, I'll link her, I'll link, uh, this interview she did on uh, script notes and it's an amazing uh, interview that she just discusses adapting that that novel and um, how she went about it and her her thought process. And I don't want to trample any of her thoughts on there because she she's she's amazing. But you could see that she put a lot of thought in in, in ways that you don't assume that about the character if you've listened or read or seen other versions of this uh like the impression i got was amy was is traditionally a little bit more selfish and uh, self-serving and uh i don't know silly and trivial but at, certainly throughout the film you get really great glimpses into her depth and the way she sees the world and how she fits into the world that it's very three-dimensional you know and so yeah i was just floored by this film all of it i would say 
I identified certainly with Joe as an artist that's like going for it, doing your thing, you know, and then uh, you're just sometimes feeling like you're out there by yourself. Like that's, yeah. (laughs) How do you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with staying true to, and for her, it's for a different reason. Like her, her goals were more feminist goals of, I don't want to succumb to the idea that I belong to someone else and that all I'm fit for is, you know, marriage and rearing children. Like she wanted to be true to, to her, her vision for life and for, uh, women at large. Uh, but she still was honest about the crushing loneliness about that. And so obviously I don't identify with the place of a woman's society. That's something I just, I don't, I'm a man, right? I, there's yeah, there's yeah. nothing I can do to, to identify with that on that level, but I can certainly identify with it on the, on the level of an artist who doesn't want to not pursue my passion and what I really believe in and what I really love as easy as it would be sometimes to, to say, okay, I'm just going to tone it back and become a little bit easier, uh, on that level. Like it's, it can be lonely and it can be, uh, trying and, uh, I love seeing that representation on the screen. I don't think I've ever seen that before. And yeah, amazing. Well, and not, not just all of those things, but believable, you know, like you can see those things on a screen or like, you know, like that can try to be portrayed in even in the same way, but, um, making it believable. That's the, obviously you have to have good actors for that, but you also have to have a good director who knows how, like what this is going to feel like in an edit. Cause it's not just, um, did we capture it on, did we even capture it in a performance? It's like, well, if you also captured 30 other performances, that day knowing, nope, that's the one. And cause that's going to, that's going to mesh really well with the one we did two weeks ago. That's right before this, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it, like you just have to have that like vision. And I feel like Greta completely brought that to the table in this regard. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, any great uh, director can take something that's been done five times and do it in this, in the same way, but still, feel different you know and i feel like she did a great job in that and that nolan's another one who can do that like he could take something that's been done you know four or five different times and make it feel like you've never seen it before even though you have totally. uh, and so yeah i totally agree absolutely and the fact is she reimagined this in a way and and showed it off in a way that hasn't been to my knowledge been done before with the uh the flashing back and forward like this the story is told linearly from what I understand and to the point where our friend Alyssa and I have talked about this a few times and she's like, I don't understand how you were able to follow everything so, so easily. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it all made complete sense to me. I knew exactly when I was, yeah. you know, in present day and when I was in the past and um, how those things were interacting and, and some ways, and I'll certainly get to this in the uh, story and writing section uh, here in a second, but yeah, it, it felt like a cheat code. Like we get to see their growth and their their contrast so much cleaner and easier whenever you can see. And this is something that I feel like a lot of TV shows do. They'll flash back to something that's Mm -hmm, relevant mm -hmm. to the moment they're going to right now, as opposed to seeing something develop over the course of two hours, uh, two hours and 15. And then you have to trust the audience for them to remember that. Oh yeah. You know, an hour ago they said this thing, or you know, this thing happened, and it's so it's relevant right now, and it's a yeah. lot, 
it's a lot nicer whenever you can just kind of cut from, cut to, and sandwich those things right together, and suddenly uh, the the point is right there on its face. Yeah, and it, and it it also means that you have to pay attention. I think that the first time the the first time that you kind of realize, oh, this shit is not going to be handed to me as a viewer. You start to really like say, okay, now, you know, I can't look away. Like I got to pick my moment to go use the restroom. If I got to pee, you know, I'm, <laughs> I can't yeah. just like just go anytime because I might miss something. So, um, and I love movies like that. I can't stand it. We've talked about this a hundred times on this podcast. I cannot stand it being spoon fed, um, uh, plot lines, um, in, especially in script, right? I mean, maybe you can get away with it, you know, um, just, you know, by showing me something, but even then it feels so forced and, and, you know, heavy handed that I, you lose me immediately. And I know you're the same way. Absolutely. No, it's, it's really nice whenever you feel like you aren't, you, you have a, you have time to think for yourself. You have time to ask questions and to ask where the depth is or, uh, why did this character do this thing or who, who's going to end up with, you know, Lori, is mm-hmm. he going to break some, mm-hmm. this girl's heart? And it's like, oh, no, the, the thing I didn't see coming is exactly, you know, the thing that happens. And if you don't ever have time to wonder, because watching this film, they, they not, they're not very heavy handed with how Amy feels about Lori. Like, it's never said out loud. It's never yeah. said out loud, but it's all in looks and it's all uh-huh. in the way she acts whenever he's around. It's all in in the edit and in the performance and not on the it's it's all subtextual. And that's what makes it so good. I have a moment to think, is there a connection here? Is there a thing? Because you don't really know until until Lori is making this comment that she shouldn't that Amy should not be with Fred. And that's when she yeah. gets upset with him. It's like, you can't do that to me. And then all these questions that we've had, all these feelings as someone who's not familiar with the story starts to come up like, oh, my God, I knew it. I knew, you know, that she was feeling something. And and you only get that satisfaction because it's never stated. It's never said out loud. It's only through implications. It's all subtextual. And I love that we have that kind of moment to to think for ourselves and to uh, to suspect and to have that satisfaction of being right or the surprise of being wrong. Like those are both really great feelings as an audience member, for sure. Yeah. Well, well, very well put. Nice. Uh, you want to jump into cinematography stuff? Yeah, man. Let's get right into it. Let's do it. So I think one of the things that made it so easy for me to, to see whenever we're in the past or in the in the present or in the future, if you will, is the color grade itself was very, very simple. Yeah. Um, like yeah. the future is very cool. It's blue and there's a lot of window lighting and it's somber. And of course, this is reflective of adulthood. You know, it's cold. It's trying. Um, it's it's not as life affirming as the past is, which in the, the flashback sequences, it's very yellow. It's warm. Even in the winter, it's very warm. And it felt like there was a lot of indoor lighting with the lamp lights and that helped to add that natural you know, glow to it. And it's they're young and it's safe. Your childhood is usually a very safe time and they're all together and uh, there's a lot of life in that. But what I thought was really cool is at the end, when we're all in the present, and we're in the school and the school's opening, it's warm again. And it's like we found our way through the trials into something warm and safe again. And that's purely done through uh, color. 
and you know mostly mostly done through color but i also like that they fill the frame when they're all together uh in the past you can feel them together because the frame is constantly packed out with them even whenever you're looking at a close-up i feel like you're still getting a lot of foreground movement and background movement of the characters around them so you're always feeling them together and that's a very easy yeah it's just kind of crammed in there and that's a very easy way to remind you that this is the past because they're all together and in the future they're all on their own having their own life and their own story as they've uh, grown up um, and it's nice um, because it adds so much life and in the future maybe there's a little more empty canvas uh, to show that they're missing their family they're missing their sisterhood um, and so there's a lot more empty frame uh, that you you don't necessarily get as much of uh, in the past the editing this was a tricky one there, this is why I said we're just going to touch on it because I feel like most of the editing, editing is done in the writing, right? The flash forwards and flashbacks and uh, when to do those things and when to tell that story. Those are normally things that you could experiment with in post, but here it was all embedded into the script itself. Um, and so for me, it's a little bit harder to pick out the, the, the great editing, but one of the things that just pop right out at me um, and probably most people is the, the race downstairs whenever, you know, Beth is really sick. And this happens at two points in the film, or it happens once in the film, but they kind of sandwich them together again. And the first time that it happens that she races downstairs to see, you know, if she's okay. I love it. The, the, it's very quick. There's all these quick cuts, these quick inserts of her footsteps on the stairs and the, the, the rail and her hand on the banister. Um, there's a lot of excitement and there's hope. There's a lot of life in the edit which leads to more life in the reveal that Beth is feeling better. And so you feel that life affirmation. The second time, it's very slow. It's a slow walk. The edit's a very slow pace. And of course, that's when we find out that Beth is gone, that she didn't make it. And so it's all revealed right there. It's embedded in the edit, in the style of the edit, in the pacing, and the rhythm. Um, the expectation is there. And of course, that would be a really cruel way to rip the rug out from someone is to add all this life into the edit and then have it be bad news. That, that would be a, a, a sucker punch. And you know, for certain films, that might make sense, but obviously uh, not in this case. We want it to be really reflective of expectations uh, being met in both cases um, in some ways. Uh, as far as story and writing, man, at the very beginning, uh, it's, it, he just, he, he lays it out whenever she's, we begin and end in that publisher's office. And this is all about a, a woman being able to make her way in the world and determine her own future and her own uh, career and provide for her and her family. Um, and she takes her story to uh, the publisher and he reads it and he just carves it up and she's like uh, if my friend right she she doesn't even have the confidence to say this is my work um and that's one of the reveals uh, of her growth her arcs you know is the ability to to own her work and to confidently not only uh, acknowledge that this is my work but that she's demanding <laughs> equal pay and uh, equal rights to the to the work itself and ownership um, but in the beginning right he she asked him you know if my friend has more stories of that are better than this it's not like she's she always throughout the film is just kind of putting herself down she's like if, if my friend has something better than this uh, would you be interested in that and he's like yeah but if the main character is a girl just make sure that she's married or dead by the end it's like holy crap if that doesn't pretty much spell it out. Yeah, that's that's the romanticism of that period for you. <laughs> right. That you I, were saying. Ugh, not for me. It's 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 hardcore. But 
I love going back to what we were talking about a second ago. The flashing back and forth shows a really great contrast in their growth. Um, we see Joe reject Lori. And then immediately, right, whenever he's proposing to her and she's just burying him, like that guy gets crushed. Yeah. And then we see, which I love that it's foreshadowed. You're foreshadowing the past through the uh, the nonlinear storytelling here. You, you foreshadow this earlier in the film whenever uh, Amy is talking to Lori and she's like, I'm really sorry about what happened with Joe. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you're like, what? What happened with Joe? Yeah. What? And we don't get that payoff for an hour and a half later. And it's it's great. And then but in the uh, the in the edit and the, the reveal, we see that butted up right up against that monologue that she we we go from seeing her, you know, destroy Lori into I've, I'm just so lonely. I would take him. I would say yes right now if I could have it to do over again. And that's yeah. such a great contrast and an easy way to see how she's grown or changed, um, not just as a. Uh, as a woman in this world, but as a as a character who's learning what her her line is, and I love that her mom is right there to challenge her, and she's saying, "That's that's not real love." You're, yeah. Uh, well, I'll save my what I was going to say for the story portion because I want to talk about that anyway. Yeah, no. Well, I want to. I do want to. I want to agree with you honestly on the cinematography aspect i feel like it was basically told through the directing right which was harkens back to what i was saying earlier about having a good director who really knows the story who knows exactly what she wants to capture and in what way and that's more than just knowing uh you know what uh what's in the frame it's it's a combination of what's in the frame and what came before that frame what's coming after that frame and the, the feeling that's coming through that frame, right? So she can't just be behind the monitor seeing what's being captured and saying, yeah, that's it because that was a good take that could th honestly, they could be, they could have done 20 takes of the same thing, right? And 10 of them could have been better than the one that was picked. But that one that was picked was the right one because of what came before it and what's coming after it too. Um, what she knows is going to be before it and be, and be after it in the final edit. Like, um, and I feel like this was shot in a, in a way that was, she literally could have shot this if she knew how to run the camera is, is what I'm trying to get yeah. at. Right. There yeah. wasn't anything super special. It's not like we're watching 1917 here. It's all very intentional. Yeah. Um, which kind of like puts you at ease a little bit as a viewer. I feel like, you know, you go watch 1917, you were never at ease. Um, and that there's a there's a reason for that. Um, and in this, you know, I'm not really expecting super cut, super fast cuts and, and everything so that when they do happen, like in that the stare moment or whatever, they feel a lot more intentional. They feel like something's happening. Oh, my gosh. Or when they slow down, it feels intentional as well. Um, but it, I think also it's probably for it, this is a period piece and a lot of period pieces are are edited in similar ways um, where it's just like, okay, now this person's talking, we're seeing this person. Now this person's talking, we're seeing this person. And maybe you'll have like some J cuts in there or something, but for the most part, it's like very straightforward, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And in this case, you know, they did a great job of sometimes how someone's reacting is more important than what someone else is saying. 
Like, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Inf- a piece of information could be trivial, but seeing how someone reacts to a name being mentioned or uh, a moment having happened uh, can be so much more revealing of character and desire and intention that you definitely pick up on stronger than just like you like you're talking about having it straight. Oh, this person, now this person, and we got our coverage and we're out. Like there was so much more intentionality uh, that was focused on character revelation than just simply let's get our coverage and go. And agreed. Uh, going back into like the the flashing back and forward shows really great contrast, especially with Amy. Like I love that in this edit. In this version of it, the nonlinear version, we get to see that Amy sees Lori first. In this film, Amy sees Lori first. And that helps to build because this could be a really upsetting film if you're rooting for Joe and Lori to get together. If that's mm-hmm. what you really, really want, then you know this can be a bit of a downer. But whenever you get to reorganize it in a way that shows... Amy is setting up some intention with uh, Lori first, then you don't feel quite as bad or you don't feel quite as let down, even though there is still a little bit of that. And uh, I'll get to that in a second. But I love seeing Amy's growth contrasted so cleanly. And that's certainly one of the cases where we get to see them connect before we ever see Joe and Lori together. I also love maybe my favorite moment in the film, if I can have like 20 is when Amy apologizes to Joe uh, for burning her book. <laughs> like, oh. That is like the world's worst apology ever. She's her, The essence, the core of her argument of her apology is that she really, really wanted to hurt Joe. <laughs> you understand why I had to burn it because that was the only way to really hurt you and I really wanted that. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the worst apology and it's just, it's so adorable and it's and so yet- immature. And yet it's the most honest. Absolutely critically honest. Like Amy's not a liar. That's a really interesting point because she's a very honest person, even if uh, (laughs) it's your fault. Yeah, it's cruel. But I love watching her grow, even uh, in her performance, uh, Florence Pugh, which for me, I could not take my eyes off of Florence Pugh. Uh, She completely stole the show. And her mannerisms, like we can watch her posture change, her speech, uh, her thoughts, the perspective all matures or uh, at least becomes more front of mind as she you know, changes from the, the little girl to the woman who's responsible for her family. And even that moment of whenever that moment happens in her life, we see a really clean cut right there. It's it's. A beautiful choice in terms of uh, storytelling because she's sitting down with her aunt March as a as a young woman, and we hear how Aunt March is saying that it's on you now for you to handle this and take up take up the reins and provide for your family. You got to find someone to marry that's going to take care of your family. That's on you. And Amy's kind of taking this in. She's like, "Okay, can I go finish painting now?" and she stands up, she walks out the door, we cut to whenever, five years into the future, and we immediately see her walking back into the room to talk to Aunt March and tell her that I'm not, I told, I rejected Fred. So the piece of advice, the thing that she was told that she has to do is juxtaposed immediately against the thing that she rejects. 
And she's saying, that's not what I want for my life. I want something yeah. else. I want someone who isn't as wealthy, but someone that I've always loved. And that's at the heart that that's her stakes. And it's such a great storytelling decision to, to put those moments right up against each other. And it's, it's really cool because it's a 360 degree thing that happens in the sense that we see her walk off to the left and exit out one side. And then in the next edit, she's walking right back around. It's like, she, she literally makes a complete, you know, U-turn. She's like, yeah, I'm going to go do that. Nope. I don't want to do that. I'm going to decide my life for me now and not just live it based on what my aunt March, my rich aunt March uh, wants me to do freaking amazing um not just in cinematography and storytelling you know but certainly in performance because she has to show us that she's a new person if you watch her gait just the way she walks and holds herself it is completely in that 20 seconds you can see both of those things completely change and mature her posture it's all just freaking magic and to your point a minute ago she everyone has to hold that in their head amy has to uh, florence Pugh has to hold that in her head that this is my character evolving right now and greta gerwig has to make sure that it's executed and, and to your point yeah. like sometimes the better take doesn't necessarily mean the the take that's best for the film sometimes you have to choose you know one thing over another in order to tell the story as as best as possible but I also love we see her grow right whenever she sits down to comfort Joe whenever Joe cuts her hair. That's a maturing moment. And yeah, having her say <laughs> and it's hilarious because she's like, I would never have done that. You're one. And she gives these backhanded compliments. You were talking about like she she's honest. Like, yeah, like when Joe cuts her hair, she's like, you're one good feature. <laughs> It's so good. It's so good. Like even in those moments where you're like in pain for them or for at least one of them, you're still laughing. Like they're, they're just so funny because they get at each other. They just know those little, those little things, buttons to push or like ways to get at you. Right. Or to get at one of them. Right. It's so good. Uh, I wanted to also just circle back just for a second, because I know we need to move on, but circle back on that. I love that scene that you brought up of her walking off and then walking right back on. I feel like there's some kind of meaning about why that, you know, one, it's a cool trick, right? Like just visually in the movie, because nothing is really, you know, because it's not told linearly, linearly, you know, you can do cool things like that. Right. And that's awesome. But also, I feel like there's some kind of message behind that. Maybe all, some, it felt to me a little bit like a changing of the guard, almost, not just for her character, but for for society, right? I feel like, you know, as over the last, you know, say it, 100 years, you know, each, each kind of uh, generation, you know, kind of gets a little bit more, a little bit looser, a little bit more, you know, like... Now, now these people have rights. Now those people have rights, right? You just kind of like, like, uh, African-Americans can vote. Now women can vote, you know, like, okay. Okay. So it, it, we're progressively going to everybody, you know, maybe one day everybody will be equal. Who knows? Right. If we live long enough, maybe, but that's what I feel like has been, it's kind of like that felt like the message to me of, uh, of grandma is saying you got to get married and to a rich per to a rich man. And I'm saying I'm stronger than that. I don't need that. I don't want I, like, yeah, money's great, but that's not what I want for my life. And, 
and I'm a strong woman. And so I'm going to do what I want to do. And so I do because it's my life now. This is my world that we're living in. Your world is gone. Now this is my world and my world is going to have my painting and my art in it and the man I love in it. And you know, whatever else comes with that. Right. That's kind of what it felt like. Yeah. Well said. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just say things. But going just a little bit broader here, I guess, uh, we, we get to see everyone as a whole, like every character, how they fit into the family. And then we also get to see them as individuals throughout the film. They all have their own lives and their own storylines, um, whether it's great or small. And it's it's the story of family in and of itself. Like you can know me like Todd, you know me really well, probably better than almost anybody. And if you saw me around my family, suddenly it would be like, I don't know this person. Like, I don't yeah. really understand who I'm seeing right now. Like, it would make sense to you on a certain degree to a certain level. But uh, there's still something that my family knows about me. And like you were saying a second ago, they all know how to push the buttons. Like, they can push the exact spot that's just going to make me detonate. <laughs> I'm like, yep. nobody can do that like family. Um, and it's great because that comes through really well in the film. Like, you see uh, how much they mean to each other, especially... I love that that sequence where Amy falls through the ice and it's after she's burned the book and Joe is just obviously fuming and you can feel her hoping that she would fall through the ice as she, you know, glided away on her skates. Like she just got that note from Lori saying, hey, stay around the edges. It's uh, it's going to be too soft in the center to skate on. And she immediately looks back at Amy, doesn't say anything like the anger falls through the ice and there's this great, I didn't see it until this, this last time I was watching it uh, yesterday, whenever she's recovering, she's on the ice and you can see uh, Joe is kissing her and it's very sweet. And you're like, wow, she's, yeah. <laughs> she's like, really turned yeah. around in the last 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care that much about the book. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's, it. it's gone, but you can't replace my sister. And I love that. I love that you get to see that's real family. That really shines through. And all the all the performances, all the editing decisions, everything. Like Greta Gerwig is for for someone that hasn't made a lot of movies is a freaking master craftsman. And it's astounding. Um, but also w- one last note that I, I made on whenever last time I saw it in theater and made my notes. I love that whenever that Christmas morning, whenever they go to give their their Christmas breakfast to the uh, the poor family, the one that I believe ends up costing Beth her life in, in one sense. Um, yeah. I love that as they're on their way there with all this food, they pass by a church. I love that. There's this, to me, very subtle meaning that God is in the actions. God isn't in the church. God is in the people and what they're doing. And that's, (laughs) if as a kid, my mom had said, you want to give up your, your Christmas presents for the, I, I promise you, I was just a selfish little bastard. Um, before the age of 13, I was just the worst. And there was absolutely zero chance of that happening in fact i used to make sure that if there was a toy that i liked that someone else was getting i would get that toy instead like i was a little shit (laughs) and so so seeing them you know giving and saying that i think they used their dad as the uh the the bait the mom used the dad as the bait 
And they were like, are you going to say that that's what dad would want? Like, yep. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm going to say. And uh, that's okay. what a child does. And that's what both of my children do, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and that's, that's okay. Yeah. You know, as children, but then, and that's maybe the point, you know, when you grow up, it's not the way it should be anymore. But I, I absolutely noticed that moment and I loved that moment. It was just like this little it was, you know how the girls poke at each other. It was Greta's little way of poking maybe at, at religion, right? Yeah. Uh, in general, it doesn't have to be Christianity specifically, even though it was a, looked like a Christian church. Definitely was a Christian church. But just some way of like saying, okay, you can go to this box and you can pray or you can actually do something that's going to help another human being. And, you know, I... I don't say that as someone who just goes out and helps everybody all the time. I'm not preaching to the choir here. I'm just saying there is a there's a difference between, uh, you know, being religious and acting it. And uh, in that scene, they were showing the difference, you know? Yeah, it's beautiful. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, just just to let the uh, the agnostic here throw out a, a, a verse and like James, he says, faith without deeds is dead. Like if you're, if you're uh-huh. only saying, you know, you're, you're good and that you love God or whatever your pathos is like, and you're not doing anything with it, then what does it really matter? But as far as storytelling and writing, like my, my last note was kind of a question, I don't know, to you, to me, to everybody, maybe. Uh, but in the end, does everyone kind of settle? Like, I think to some degree, everyone does to some degree, maybe like Amy is with the person she really wants to be with, but it's probably not the exact way that she wanted to be with him. I think the, the, the perfect way would be if he rejected uh, Joe in favor of Amy, right? That's what you really want in the love of your life is for them to choose you not to be rejected and then get, you know, you know, take you as a a second place offering. Um, And similarly, Lori, you know, really wanted Joe and the way he talks about Amy is not quite sad, but it's, uh, it's, it's on the path, you know, when he says that, you know, I'll always love you. And I love Amy. Just, I love her differently. And it's like, I don't really know what that means, man, but you know, I hope that you're good to her, um, at at the end of the day. And I hope she's good to you and that y'all make something, you know, great together. Uh, and obviously to, to some degree, I already forgotten her name. Uh, Meg, Meg has to settle a little bit. Um, like she, Ended up with someone she loves and she loves her family, but you can clearly see some disappointment in her lifestyle. And so there's compromises all around. But I love that at the end, Greta Gerwig found a way to have her cake and eat it too. When when it came to Joe, she got to see Joe get together and have love and the excitement of love. And she also got to see her reject love and, you know, focus on career and put her put her own ideals ahead of her passions um, or at least her her family desires. Like she got to have those both because in the book that Joe wrote, she ends up with, you know, this guy. And but in reality, she didn't. I think in reality, she rejected that. Um, I don't think Joe ends up with that guy. Um, I think you don't No. No, I think Joe ends up, and I think that's the significance of the final shot where Joe is holding the book. 
because if you if you remember the opening scene is her walking into the publisher's office and now this is her finally being published and holding on to the thing that she truly loves which is writing she loves nothing more than writing and i think she chose writing over over family huh but, interesting but but greta got to have have her cake and eat it too she got to show this character getting with a guy she's married and now uh she also got to show her being on her own i love it interesting hmm Hmm. i get yeah i I could see that because i don't agree but i could see it because whenever she's describing it she's she's talking about and i think this is the cleverness of of the edit is she's in the publisher's office and the publisher asks her you know, why doesn't she end up with, with the guy? And she's like, cause that's not what happened. That isn't right. That, that isn't real. But life. Who's the guy? Huh? Who's the guy? The guy, the, the guy, the Frenchman or who, wherever he was. From. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know who you're talking about, but who's the guy that she's talking about in the story to the publisher? Was it Lori? Could it have been Lori? Cause that's that she wasn't. If, if, if the book is, kind of a metaphor for the whole story we're seeing, right? Which is kind of how I was seeing it. And I could be wrong. Then Lori is the the guy that she does not end up with, not the Frenchman. No, I think he was wanting her to end up with anyone really. Uh, I know, but that's why he, that's why they labeled that scene under the umbrellas because the scene that she suddenly was describing was the one that ended up in the book but not the one mm-hmm. that happened in real life because that was, you know, the, the statement before that she was like, that's not, that's not what happened. That's not real life. And that's not what I want her to yeah, be. Yeah, But true. But I, but the way that I saw that was, that's not real life. Meaning that the scene under the umbrella didn't happen. That's what didn't happen. Not the not ending up with the Frenchman. Now, let me also say that you could totally be right. And that is still a great story. I'm not saying that it needs, she needed to be with the Frenchman, not saying that at all. Maybe he's just hanging out. Maybe he's a teacher there, you know, and they're just like friends and everything. Uh, maybe they are dating and they didn't get married and they just don't, you know, who know, I don't, I have no idea. Right. And that's part of the great thing about the ending is that like you see it one way and I see it a totally different way. Cause I, I do look at it like all, like my first thought when I saw it was, Oh, she didn't end up with anybody. And then I was thinking, and, and, and that's good because the whole movie is about her being a strong woman who doesn't need a guy. And so why would she be? But then that also pigeonholes her into not being able to be with anybody, not allowing her to fall in love with somebody, even if it's not Lori. So, you know, in a way, she, you're right. She does get to have her cake and eat it, too, because we're having this conversation and I'm seeing it in one way and you're seeing it in a totally different way. But, you know, not allowing her to be just this way of no marriage, no man or woman, whatever, no love. Right. Because. Like that seems like a like a sadder prospect than her not even being not being with Lori which the whole movie was leading up to her possibly being with Lori, right? But it seems like a sadder prospect that she's not as a character allowed to be with anybody because she's this person, this woman who is too strong or strong, strong enough to not need a man. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I disagree that I don't, I don't see it as sad. I see it as, yeah, just that strong and maybe uncompromising. Um, well, yeah, I think I meant sad as in like, 
not being allowed because she's so she's too strong. Mm. Does that make sense? As a character, like the the writer slash director not allowing her to have that because she's too strong. Yeah. Quote unquote. Yeah. Not I, us as a viewer experiencing the story. Right, right. No, I get what you're saying then. That's um, weird. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think I think that is interesting. That's an interesting way to look at it. I I think the the amazing thing was she defied and she she set up a, an issue in the opening scene of the film. Make sure your main character is either married or dead. And mm-hmm, at the end of the mm-hmm. film, Joe is neither. She's right, not married. Right. And she's not dead. And yeah. it's okay to just exist. Yeah. And because we never get to see that. We, I'm sure there's hundreds and thousands of films where we see a guy end up neither dead nor married, right? And he's fine and he goes about <laughs> his life. But every movie that has a woman as its, you know, its central protagonist, yeah. They always end up, you know, married and with the guy. And uh-huh. it's it's really badass that she was like, no, nah, bump all of that. She's yeah. going to just be OK, because that's while she may not have uh, loved Lori. I don't know that she was completely, you know, crazy about the, the Frenchman either. I felt like she was still waiting for uh, the lightning. And if, and mm-hmm. she was OK if that never came. Instead, she was going to focus on the school and I'm going to teach kids and I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to change the world, not through having my own kids, but through raising other people's. I can change their minds through that. That's the classic uh, cool. teacher paradigm. And so, yeah, I, I thought it was just a really cool s- statement as a director to say, you know what? I want a movie out there that doesn't have a freaking woman married and uh, her life is about yeah. more than that. Yeah, totally. I can totally <laughs> see that, too. That's great. <laughs> Sure. Why not? All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, So, what do you give it? Oh man, dude, I got to give it a a a nine, nine and a half. Uh, I mean, it's yeah, it's absolutely fucking fantastic. Uh, I don't. The only reason I'm not giving it as ten is your reason at the the top is I don't like the period. I've never liked it either. It's boring, um, and it takes a Greta Gerwig and this kind of cast to make it. You know satiable i guess you know so yeah mm-hmm. nice that's what i give it what about you yeah i'm easily out of 10 it's really difficult for a movie to make me cry um and i'm just like blubbering throughout this entire film like one character looks at another and i'm just in tears it's absolutely incredible uh storytelling performances all of it and just i guess being unfamiliar with this particular story was i just felt blindsided i was like where did this come from uh, yeah, I could not love this film any more than I do. Like, it's so good. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Love it. Uh, what are you, what are you going to recommend this week? So I was really close to rep- recommending Pride and Prejudice because that's the only other movie I've been able to watch in this era. Um, it's the only Jane Austen film that I've been able to watch. It's the one, the 2005 one with Kira Knightley. Um, and it's so good. And I was super incredibly surprised. And if someone I didn't trust hadn't recommended I watch it, I never would have watched it. That's the one I really want to recommend, but I think there's a there's a cooler one to recommend, which is on HBO, there's a show called Sharp Objects. And it's written by Jillian Flynn, who you may know from uh, Gone Girl. She wrote that. And it's it's an incredible story. It's got Amy Adams and Eliza Scanlon, who played Beth in Little Women. And it's 
if you want more, you know, uh, I don't know, woman power or girl power, or whatever you, whatever you like, that's much more dramatic and the stakes are much more modern and go watch sharp objects on HBO. You will not be disappointed. What about you? Awesome. Uh, you know, it was, it's hard for me. I, I, I don't really know anything that kind of compares to this really, you know, I want to say some movie that's, that's like, you know, I don't know, either comparative or, or with a female director, but I just kind of like, I've been wanting to like rewatch this particular movie, uh, because I enjoyed it and it's not, it's just kind of like off a little bit, but has a, a, a main female, uh, character that is kind of, uh, that you can't tame, even though you think that you can, which is like very powering, I feel like, uh, and it's totally off, off base on this. Can you get, uh, if you guess this, it, you're not going to guess it. You're not. And if you guess it, I'm going to turn this off and run away in fear because there's no way that you can guess this. You're like in my brain if you can. Yeah. It's a movie. It's a movie. It's no seven, eight years old and female main character, but not what you think. I got nothing. Dang it. Yeah, you're not going to get it. I don't know why I'm even asking because uh, it's nowhere. It's not even in the same wheelhouse. It's totally different. Um, I'm going to recommend her. It was it was one of those movies where it just kind of like came out of nowhere. I love anything that Joaquin Phoenix has ever done. The guy is unbelievable. He was unbelievable before he went one best actor at, for decades and one of my favorite actors. And uh, Scarlett Johansson uh, plays. The, and it was interesting about that is that she wasn't the initial voice. It was someone else who was the initial voice and then it just wasn't right. And so they went back and cast her for the voice, redid all of it. And I'm so glad that they did. But yeah, yeah, her. Great reco. So stay tuned next week. Uh, We're going to do devs. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad. So I didn't know what this was. You, You said, have you checked out devs yet? But I binged the the crap out of it. It's, you know, it's worth it, watching. Well, you can see it on Hulu right now. It's uh, produced by FX and uh, written and directed by Alex Garland, who you may yes. remember from uh, such small movies as Ex Machina. He wrote and directed that. He uh, adapted and directed Annihilation. He wrote 20 Days Later. He wrote The Beach. Uh, he adapted Never Let Me Go. Like we have done a lot of his movies on the show and he mm-hmm. is easily my favorite writer. And so he wrote and directed devs. Um, if that's any indication, we'll save. There's so many surprises along the way. Um, just go watch it and be surprised because you. Yeah. 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 And it's it. You know, there are it's, it's really slow moving. So you have to like just stay with it. Right. Just stay with it. Um, the whole time is all that we'll say. So nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Uh, leave us a note if you'd like us to talk about anything. And we have a new listener, dog on it. I didn't pull up everything. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Charlie. Uh, I forgot to make the notes. I'll, I'll give you a proper shout-out next week, Charlie. And, yeah. And if you want to comment on this specific episode, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash littlewomen. Uh, so the quote of the day we'll leave you with is from Joan Didion. To free us from the expectations of others, to give us back to ourselves... There lies the great singular power of self-respect. Wow. Very, that's, that's very on the nose for this film too. Yeah. 
Oh. Like, I don't know enough about Joan Didion to kind of wax poetic about her. I know she's an incredibly famous writer. Um, I just haven't read any of her work, whether it's mm-hmm. her novels or uh, her articles. But I know she's uh, very influential. And that quote is just, oh, man, self-respect. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I can't the really word self-respect is like, it's kind of one of those words that you just say and you don't really know what it means. I'm just saying that because I'm, this is kind of telling me what it means, reminding me what it means, actually, you know, to, uh, free yourself from the expectations of others. That's like, you know, if I'm making a piece of music, not worrying about if other people like it, if I like it, then just letting it be what it is. Right. And, and being okay with that. Like that's very freeing. Unbelievable. I mean, you need that as a creator of anything, whether it's film or, or, you know, writing a book or music or whatever that might be in any form, even hell, even parenting. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of that in this, you know, there's so many people that say you need a parent like this and your kids need to be reading by this age and walking by that, whatever. That's, that's fantastically freeing quote. That's actually right on the nose for me. It's helping. It it helps, helps helping me right now. So Good call on that, man. It's huge. Like I've been working on this script for a project, you know, for the last few months now, and it's just kind of gone in, in these loops and it's been a, a frustrating and, you know, maybe rewarding process. We'll see, you know, in the end, but I had to, I wrote a 30 page script client saw it and just completely changed directions on us. And we're like, okay. And so I had to go back and uh, effectively rewrite 30 pages. Like I, I think maybe accumulatively two or three pages made it through. Uh, wow. But overall, yeah, it's like, that's a, that's a pain, man. That's, that's, that's a lot of, it's a lot of work that you just kind of balling up and throwing away and you're yeah. like, okay, well, here we go. And the hard part of that is, is that for me, I'm a very much a once bitten twice shy kind of person. Um, mm-hmm. and so for me to write 30 pages and then basically have it wadded up and thrown back at me, like, I now have to go be vulnerable again. I now have to go find a way to find myself free of the expectations of others, you know, in order to completely invest myself into the script again and to find what is it I want to say? What is it that's honest and true? Who are these characters now? Um, and how can I, you know, pour myself into this thing instead of just going paint by numbers, you know, uh, and playing it safe. And how can I learn, how can I figure out how to take risks again after, you know, feeling completely shut down after this first write? Uh, and it was challenging and I had to do what I had to do. Like I, it was one of those scenarios where I, I, I broke my leg and then in order to not feel the pain of a broken leg, I broke my finger. (laughs) Like I had had to break something else. Um, and so I like, I went and threw a bunch of money into the stock market and I basically just, you know, wadded that up and threw it away. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it helped. Like, oh, it helped. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> no, laughing. No, it's, that's I not just, tender oh, at all. I was only laughing because you were smiling. That's all. <laughs> no, but it was one of those things that I had to find a way to reduce my level of care and investment, emotional investment to divert my, my emotions somewhere else. So that, and it, and it helped. It got me through the, the next draft that got us like 90% of the way there. And now we're kind of going through these minor revisions. And it's a good way to kind of keep changing directions and giving conflicting. If you've ever worked with any client before in your entire life, you already know what I'm describing. Like people say, yeah. they, hey, do one thing. And then they come back the next week and say, why'd you do that thing? Like, do it this way. I'm like, well, I, 
all right <laughs> what do you there's there's a limited amount of uh you know back and forth i guess but yeah I yep. completely identify with this. And obviously, like you were saying, like this is so well reflected in the movie, especially in Joe, like for her, finally, you could feel that she was getting to that place. Cause even when she submitted the, the manuscript, the first chapter, she was like, uh, if there's, if there's any value in this, which there, there probably isn't, um, then let me know. I could write some more chapters, uh, in case, you know, you think it can do, uh, in case you think it's any good, which it probably isn't like, she just kind of yeah, backhanding herself right. yeah. <laughs> because she was so worried about what someone else might think instead of saying, I love what the story is and what it can be. Uh, and I felt like at the end at the negotiating table is when she finally figured it out. Like, no, I, he's not the gatekeeper anymore. Like yeah. I am. I'm the yeah, gatekeeper. And you know, it goes both ways though, too. So just to say this and we can finish it off. It's like, yes, you have to believe in yourself and you have to believe that what you do, what you're doing is good enough, but it's gotta be good enough. Like you can't just be, you know, the first thing you've ever written and it's, and you think it's a uh, fucking masterpiece. And if anybody disagrees, then they're incorrect. Like, no, it probably sucks. Let's be honest. And that's okay. That's the whole point is to like suck for a long time so that you never have to suck, you know, that much again. Right. Or your suckiness when you write something really crappy, it's, you know, 50% better than everyone else's best, you know? So you do have to work really hard at it to make sure that what you're feeling is really good is actually good, you know? (laughs) So there's that too. But then when you're, you're ready and you think, man, this is good. I've, I've put my time and effort into it. Then yeah, don't look back hundred percent. Absolutely. The creative process is it's a strange and, uh, uncaring monster. Like, uh, if something's going to be good, man, it, to, to some degree, you, either you got to like kill your babies or someone else is going to do it for you. Like you, you have to figure out a way to be completely honest with yourself or what, what good is your, your taste? Like you, you're not going to listen to anybody else. (laughs) Like if you can't be honest with you, um, then feedback isn't going to be useful either. You just want people to tell you how good you are. You don't want people to tell you how you can improve. Um, which is generally why I don't ask for feedback because (laughs) I don't want to improve. I I don't, I don't want (laughs) I don't want to hear the criticisms. I can already hear them. Like I can yeah, already okay, okay. feel how bad my work is. I don't need voices added to the, to the uh, chorus. Like listen to yourself, Wesley, <laughs> listen to yourself. I have a thousand piece orchestra, like playing the worst fucking shit that Stop I got. It, going Joe. On. <laughs> Come on. You're good at what you do. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah. It's closing the gap, right? Yep. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. Well, man, I had a great time. Same. Remember before this, you said, oh, this won't take long? Yeah. Of course. Took took long. Uh, anyway, thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, uh, I had a great time. And uh, make sure you join us next week we'll, where we'll be in our homes uh, doing this coronavirus thing for a while. Um, but we're still going to be bringing this to you guys. I know we've been gone for a little while, but we figured this out and we're, we're going to keep bringing it to you as much as we possibly can. Next week, we're going to be doing devs. Make sure to go watch that. It's, it's a long haul, um, but it's worth it. So take the time now to watch over this next week and, and we'll see you next week. Uh, until then, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Yeah.